Is he gonna answer? Hello. Oh, hello. Hi. Hello. I know no one's home because I'm going to have a Vietnamese coffee. This is my brother, Sam. How are you going? <laughs> On a scale of one to a hundred, how, how much do you not ever want to talk into a microphone? Uh, it's minimal. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be the minus. <laughs> That's okay. You're here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Okay, the so. Complete, the complete antithesis to the rest of your family. Why? Well, because everyone hams it up for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's me. Still here. And it feels like things are opening up again. I've got a few different projects that I'm doing at the moment. Getting a bit busy again. And meanwhile, there's been a lot of personal stuff going on behind the scenes. And we'll get into that. Today... We are at my brother's place because in this last year, we've all had to adapt and learn new skills, and Sam learnt something quite crucial to his lifestyle. I've perfected the art of Vietnamese coffee. Which cup do you want? Do you want the one with the handle, the German mustard cup? Do you want the French old-school cup, or do you want the Nutella cup? Can I have my Vietnamese iced coffee in the Nutella jar that's been washed out, please? Yep. You got the ice? The only problem with the ice is that it's not um, small enough, but I live with that because I aerate it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm. The pure filtered Vietnamese coffee, which I think has two different blends, plus a, a third blend of an Italian coffee to smooth it out. Did you think that your sister would be back here for as long as I have been? Probably not this long, but I guess it's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? Because you got to achieve a lot more than you probably thought you would have mm. and lay down the foundations in a proper way. Yeah. There's always a silver lining to everything. I'm going to give you about 15 mils of condensed milk. It's on the strongest side, but because of the smoothness of the coffee, you don't really need any sweeter or milkier. Um, you know, Mum and Dad probably got overexcited about having you back when they didn't expect to, mm. so they probably got a bit gung-ho. As you've talked about, you know, mum having access, free reign to dad's house where you were yeah. is probably not something you would have planned or accepted, yeah. but it was happened. So it's probably once you're too far in, it's hard to pull out. Well, you know, I mean, you get Janet at a point where she she sorts through your underwear drawer. <laughs> I mean, I've set my underwear at a really high shelf, so she just can't reach it. So I don't have a problem with that. And dad just likes chatting. And he likes having you around, even though you're not interacting at home necessarily. He just likes having you there. As much as he, you know, he complains that you might be, you know, stuck in your room or constantly on the phone or you know, communicating with other people. He, he's happy just to have you in that space. So, but I mean, I mean, I know you've got a lot of resilience, and I know Magnus is very resilient too. Oh, cry! Oh my! Oh, here we go. My eyes are watering because I've got allergies at the moment. Do you want me to hold that? Do you want me to use- no. You know, you're probably lucky you've got, you know, Magnus is the person he is. You know, he's pretty tough and pretty strong and he's used to living abroad and, you know, he he can maintain a connection without requiring you to physically be there. But, you know, it'll come to an end, you know. Sometimes over planning will drive you batty. But you have to look at all the good stuff. You know, I'm I'm a pessimistic person on the outside, but on the inside, you know, I just um, always look at what's going well and 
what has this downtime allowed us to achieve? You know, you were going to LA last, you know, whenever it was with not much concrete going on. Whereas now you've got the potential to do things that are really much more concrete than you would have ever imagined. And this 12 months has, you know, allowed you to do that, right? So you sacrifice, you sacrifice a bit of Magnus time for long-term Magnus time, I presume. <laughs> Is that too dark? Oh my God, it smells so good. So now we've got our Vietnamese coffee. It looks beautiful. Actually, wait, I'm going to take a photo of it. Do you want me to do that with my phone? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Well, yeah, thank you for the pep talk on the pretty much eve of your 40th birthday. Yeah, all right. What are we doing for your 40th birthday? Well, we're doing Yamcha. This, Linda, this will be your greatest achievement in terms of collecting both parents and transporting them against their will. You know, so dad wants to use his senior card to catch a train and mum refuses to come out, right? So you're pretty much collecting both of them to make it happen. And explain why Janet refuses to come out for Yamcha. Well, two reasons. One, it's way before her wake up time. Okay, so she needs to get up around about 10 so that you can pick her up at 11. And she just doesn't like Yamcha. She doesn't like the busyness. Perhaps there's too much MSG. You know, she probably finds it's a bit too fattening for us with the cholesterol problems. Classic Janet behaviour. Oh, thank you, Sam. I'll see you at Yamcha. Yes, yes, we'll go. Oh, that's so Sam. Just hitting us with the realism. And he's right. You know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to feel good about. But... Uh, Given that Magnus and I still don't have a date locked in to see each other after over a year of being apart and multiple setbacks, it's hard to explain how shit that can feel. There's clearly a sadness and anxiety that comes from that ongoing uncertainty of not being able to make plans, right? I'd really like to shake that feeling. So how do we do that? And how do we stay hopeful? because I'm finding it increasingly hard to not become a defeatist little fucking scumbag. We will figure this out, but first we're going to hug my friend Nina. She's actually known Magnus for longer than me and she's played a very special role in our romance. Nina is a sick DJ. She's a producer, she's a record label owner, and she makes club bangers with some real ambient sweetness, like this one. It's bloody Linda Mariano. Here she is. Here she is. We're in Nina Las Vegas's. What up? Where are we? Linda, we're in student accommodation. <laughs> I accidentally booked. Nina was living was and just, thriving in the uh, UK at the start of 2020 uh, and planned to stay there until COVID hit. And like all artists, her tours fell through and she made the decision to come back to Australia. Now she sees that silver lining too. Being here, being forced to kind of look at all the back end of every part of my industry has opened my eyes up to so much stuff I can change and work on here. And then if I do go back overseas, because I love London and I want to be there and I can go there knowing that I'm a little bit more established in Australia as a label owner, as a manager, as a curator, as a bad bitch. 
And this bad bitch has been my side babe for so long. We've known each other for 18 years and she's also the matchmaker. I know Magnus. You know I know Magnus because I introduced you to Magnus. Oh, my God. Tell us the origin story, Nina. Ah, Because Nina's been here the whole time. Nina is the one who planted the seed and now we have (laughs) Nina to thank for being in this situation. Everything. Yeah, yeah, for everything. Yeah, every part. No, so I um, was on uh, a little sojourn, as you call it, <laughs> with Linda, who was newly single, and we were posting, I don't know what you call them, thirsty photos, perhaps? Do you remember that photo? I think it was a no. – I thought it was my butt in jeans. No, it was a swim-up chart. Oh, was it? Yeah. I thought it was a photo of me on a couch or something. It doesn't matter because I got a little – slide into my DM from my friend who was like, who's this? And both of you are single. He has been a friend of mine for a minute because we, you know, do similar things and know each other. And you were going to LA. Oh, I don't know. Maybe I was just like, go for it. Who cares? Like just connect. And I think it was that first kind of, you become friends, you talk and all that. But um, I think I said to you, you both like candles and food. <laughs> it's perfect. No, you was, it was, I remember you were like, Linda, you both like candles. You both talk about pooing. It was poo. I remember it was poo. <laughs> and I was just like, in my head, it just clicked. So I've always been pro this union. Um, and then even to the point where I think where you first met in LA, I was on the tail end of both texts like go 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 to one person go 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 to the other to the point where I think even there was so much debriefing with both of you I slipped up and said oh like something that the other had said and I remember you looked at me like how the fuck do you know that (laughs) I'm like guys I'm literally getting texts from you at the same time this is too stressful (laughs) but yes I know the sadness of the separation because I know how much you wanted to be together finally and we're all for it we were in LA together in January and then yeah the world changed and but I know the back end of it in the sense of like I'm a problem solver and like I always have been and that's who I am and so especially with kind of these you know I think even the last few weeks we've just I've just been like Linda we can't think about like at this point now with all the hurdles you have we can't think um, about the emotion of it anymore because actually the formality of getting together is going to be logistical so I have this belief that anything can happen in that world as long as you present everything and I'm sure you're in those conversations now obviously the emotion of it fucking sucks and I hate seeing both you and him sad because he'll occasionally call me and then as a check-in and then you know like I grill him like what's happening like where are you at what's happening this is it just in case like those conversations you don't want to have I'm like all right I'm on it it's good it's good though yeah and I also know the love that you guys have because I've been invested in it (laughs) I'm part of it um but I do know that that's the good thing Nina is right it's this kind of two-pronged thing it's really emotional and it's also really logistical And at the moment, we are in the middle of figuring out how to reunite and whether that's getting me to LA or getting him to Australia. So there's lots of research and paperwork and conversations going on.
Hello. Nice to meet you. Yes, nice to meet you too. So if you're recording. So as, as long as I'm recording it into Audacity, it should work. I'm just going to hit record. Imagine if I stuff this up. Yeah, okay. All right. Meet Tracy Chen. She's a migration lawyer based in Melbourne. One of her areas of expertise is partner visas, and she's been passionate about immigration her whole life. My background is Chinese. Um, I did come here when I was two years old, uh, so I was an immigrant myself. I completed law. And at the beginning, I think when you finish law, you have all these grand plans to, you know, be a corporate lawyer, a criminal lawyer, because, you know, you watch Suits and Boston Legal and all of that. But I fell into migration law purely because of the language um, that I had so I could speak Chinese. And I was at a law firm. They're like, oh, she can speak Chinese. Why don't we just put her in the immigration team for now? And so that's how I started immigration. But then very quickly, I grew to love it because it's something that really resonated with me. And it's something that totally made sense. And I totally understood the clients and where they're coming from and what was at stake for them. So when you understand something so well and you're so passionate about it, I think that's when you can become, you know, good at what you do as well. And for couples and families who are separated, Tracy sees just how tricky the process is. The the threshold from compassion is very high. So even if the family member is very sick or is there's some issue with, you know, their life expectancy, we're even seeing a lot of refusals for that to them is just not compassionate enough to grant a travel exemption. For partner visas specifically, what they actually look for is a cohabitation pre-COVID. So if you live together as a couple before COVID, you have a much better chance at it. And the issue with that is because a lot of couples, you know, were, if they weren't thinking about applying for a long-term partner visa in Australia, a lot of them just didn't prepare any of this paperwork. You know, so someone might have been living in Australia on a temporary visa and dating an Australian, and they were just staying at their place. They didn't think to put their name on the lease or anything that, you know, gives that official evidence to prove that you're actually in a de facto relationship and cohabitating together. And that's the main issue that we're seeing with, you know, some of these couples that have been separated since uh, COVID. Man, that just feels like Magnus and I have no chance of succeeding in a compassionate visa sense. Yeah, to them, you know, and, and some of my clients came back, you know, when they received the refusals and I gave them advice, they're like, you know, I, they found this really offensive. Like, who are border force to tell me if my relationship is genuine or whether we are de facto, you know? But what we've seen is without that kind of evidence, which is basically cohabitation plus a partner visa application, everything associated with that, it's really, really difficult. What would your advice be to someone like Magnus and myself and other couples that have been separated for so long, what's your advice in that circumstance? Or are you just like, Lindy, (laughs) you've got no hope. You know, I've never told these people, you know, give up. I have warned them that it's going to be a long road and we just have to keep trying. You know, I have couples now that I'm lodging applications for and they've basically been in a long distance relationship. I mean, they've seen each other plenty of times and we have plenty of evidence of that, but they don't have that cohabitation. And we're up to about 20 attempts. (gasps) Yeah. With one couple? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Tracy! Don't lose hope. (laughs) But it's what you're going to be in for. So once you've lodged five and you get knocked back, don't be like, oh, you know, this is so hard or whatever. 
just know that that, that that are numbers that we're looking at. That's how many applications that we've actually done for some of these couples. And it, it's really hard each time, you know. I think it puts a lot of stress on people. And some people have said to me, thank Lord that they actually engaged us to do it. Because if they're doing it themselves, they'll just become too angry and too involved. And I had some people, you know, came back to me, you know, when I've asked them for the new set of documents for the next application, there's an angry letter in there too. You know, you're looking to apply for a partner visa. Partner visas, you know, take three years. You know, I'm on this journey with this couple, with these visa applicants for three years. So you do get invested and you do get to know them very, very well. But I think being invested is a good thing because it gives you the, you know, the strength and everything to be the best at what you do and fight for these people and, and help them achieve that Australian dream. Oh, fuck, dude. Did you hear that? 20 times. Three years. It's like, at this point, I find it very hard to pull more and more patience just out of my butt. I feel kind of drained. And I know that the physical circumstances and the uncertainty is not going to change anytime soon. So this shift has to be internal and it has to be a matter of perspective. Oh my god. Hello. Yes. Okay. Where are we? Oh. Hello. Hi, I'm Linda. Good to meet you. James. James. Oh, James or Dr. Jim? One or the other, whatever. Oh, my God. Okay, so we're walking into Dr. Jim Wright's beautiful apartment. There's an aroma diffuser going on. What's the scent? Uh, I'm just trying to remember what it is. Grapefruit and mint. Oh, you've done your own combo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Courtesy of Louisa, my Pilates instructor. The lovely Dr. Jim Bright is a psychologist with over 30 years' experience. He's a fellow of the Australian Psychological Society. So what does he say to people who feel mentally tired right now? Well, well, obviously abandon all hope. (laughs) I mean, I think part of this is about expectations. And it is frustrating. It's been devastating for people. People have died, they've lost their careers, they've, they've lost their livelihoods, their families have been split apart. There's been some really, really serious thing that goes on. And part of the problem sometimes is that you can, if you're feeling bad about it, you feel almost sort of illegitimate, you know, because you can put yourself on this sort of league table of, you know, there's always someone worse off. And that's kind of a, in what sometimes that can be useful, but a lot of the times that can be very dangerous, that if you're not coping, you're not coping. And you need to be able to, to deal with that situation. What you've got to remind yourself of in all of this, and it's not easy to do, it's easy for me to say it, is stuff is uncertain. And part of the problem in a lot of the self-help stuff that we've done, a lot of career planning stuff that's out there, is we kid people into thinking the world's certain and predictable and we can make long-range predictions. And I think the reality is, you know, I don't know where I'm going to be at the end of this sentence, let alone in five years' time. At some point, you need to become reconciled with the inherent uncertainty of our lives. Yeah. You know, our lives are, are limited in every kind of way. They're limited in terms of how many years we'll live. They're limited in how much knowledge we can acquire. Um, in my terms, they're, they're limited in terms of any athletic endeavour. <laughs> Dealing with that with a sense of grace 
is important, I think, and recognising that you cannot control everything and you cannot plan everything and it's how you respond to those challenges which is, I think, critical throughout life. We just don't know what is around the corner in terms of illness or unexpected positive events, but it's that expectation of predictability which I think is what is underneath a lot of this angst. And I think what we have to do is instead of trying to make these long-term plans in very precise ways, by all means have a dream, have a, have a sort of a vision of where you'd like to be. I think that's quite useful so you're not completely lost. But you've got to accept that you may, there'll be lots of twists and turns on the way. And it's that ability to be able to deal with change and to deal with plan change and, and to expect it. You need to expect the unexpected. Mm. And what we've done in life is we've removed it. And I think half the time these goals that we set become prisons. So we, we sort of feel frustrated that we're not achieving our goals, failing to recognise that sometimes achieving your goal is worse than not achieving it. So all of this, if you achieve your goals, it's transformational, that somehow you're going to self-actualise, you're going to become this kind of Gandhi-esque figure. It's not, not the case at all. You see it sometimes in sort of um, elite athletes who you know, basically sacrifice everything in search of a gold medal. Most won't get there. The very few that do, sometimes they also struggle. What's next? What's going on next in my life? If you set those goals, you're not actually practicing flexibility. You're practicing focus, and that can be useful, but you're not practicing how to reinvent yourself, how to pick up the pieces, how to be resilient, how to deal with setbacks. And, and also, what we never teach people is how to abandon a goal. Um, people stay in relationships which are clearly not working way too long because in some cases, they are, the fear of uncertainty, the fear of the unknown is worse than the, the certainty that this is a horrible situation they're in. That is how much we're afraid of uncertainty and embracing uncertainty and practicing uncertainty. Mm. So there's a danger about this sort of goal setting and this perfectionism, this narrow pursuit of one particular thing. And I think it's, it places unrealistic expectations on us. It fails to take into account the complexity of the world and the changes that are going to happen in the world. That there are things which are bigger than us. And this thing with COVID is a classic example of that, which is bigger than us. Yeah. And yeah. we kind of have to go with it. There's, there's absolutely no point railing about it. And I think if you can get to that point, you can get to a degree of inner peace where that anxiety goes away. Because that anxiety, in a sense, is coming from, I've got to solve this. This is somehow my fault. So Jim's advice is to have goals, have direction, but we need to be flexible. And as Tracy said, don't give up hope, you fucking cynical, jaded, increasingly pissed off person. Remaining hopeful and optimistic is important. What I'm suggesting is not to become fatalistic, not to just lie back and just let the world wash over you. Having visions, having dreams of the future, having a, a sense of where you want to go is really important. Don't get hung up on the route that you take to try to get there and be open to the fact that where you want to go now might turn out to be very different to where you end up, which might be better than anything you could possibly imagine. How do you feel after hearing from Jim? I feel kind of good. I recognise how much I have clung onto planning and expectations my whole life. What Jim and even my brother has given us is the simple reminder that 
life is always going to be unpredictable. And that's okay. And so while I still don't have a date locked in, I think I've found a bit of peace. <laughs> ah, just a little bit. That way? Yeah. We're going up. Oh, my God. So what time is it? Now? Yeah. Ah, 11.45. I get up at like 1 p.m. 1 okay. p.m. So I lose my beauty sleep. Okay, where's Sam? Oh, they're over there. They're over there. They're over. Hi, no, no. Oh, I'm starving. <gasps> what do you think about yamcha? I love yamcha, you know that, especially my mugog. I got a haircut at Nona's hairdressing shop. The thing on the table that spins around so that people can get whatever food they want. Yes, happy 40th birthday to my beautiful only son. <laughs> so, this is where the tough love story leaves us for now. But this is not the end. Please keep in touch. You can say hi on Instagram at Linda Mariano or email hellotoughlove at gmail.com. You can check out some other projects that I'm doing that are equally as exciting, but not as personal as what you and I have here on Tough Love. So until we get to cuddle in audio form next time, my little tough cookie, thank you very much listening. You can have a whole one if you want. What's that? Okay. All right, I'm going for these ones. I'll, I'll take, yeah, I'll take a bit of that. I'll just get to, yeah, that one. You want chili sauce? I'm going the way. If you want me to take him, I need to go. Where is it? Show me. Show me Tough Love is a podcast by me, Linda Mariano, produced by me and Amelia Chapello, with support from Mike Williams. Shout out to Princess Daphne. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Thank you. Love you. Bye.